purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Well, by now, you probably know that I'm Kevin Monroe. I'm host of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I want to thank you for joining in today. Whether you're a longtime listener or you're a first-time or relatively new listener, welcome. I'm delighted to have you as part of the Higher Purpose Podcast family. Several of you have just started listening because of learning about us through Humans First Club or Human First Workplaces and Cultures that we've been talking about. This is episode 78. If you listened to last week's conversation, if you're following along real time, or episode 77, if you're binging, and I love that people now binge on podcasts, how fascinating that is. I had a lively conversation with Mike Vacanti, founder of the Humans First Club. In that episode, you probably heard me mention that it was my friend, Marcel Schwantes, that introduced me to Mike. Well, Today, Marcel's joining me, and we're going to continue exploring this idea that is spreading, the humanizing or maybe the rehumanizing of the workplace. Marcel's a great one to join this conversation. He's a speaker, coach, consultant, and syndicated columnist, drawing over a million readers a month to his thought leadership on servant leadership and human-centered workplaces. And I'm happy to consider him a friend. So welcome, Marcel Schwantes. Hey, welcome, Marcel. What a delight to welcome you. Have you finally joined the Higher Purpose Podcast? I know you've been a longtime listener, and I'm delighted to welcome you today as a first-time guest. Glad to be here, and I can't wait to uh, get it going. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. Sure. So, Marcel and I want to invite you to join us for what promises to be, hopefully, lively and stimulating conversation about humans first workplaces. (laughs) But before we go there, let me ask you something, Marcel. What are you grateful for in this moment? That we live in a time where we can kind of carve our own path. And I speak from, and I know that this is more of a luxury for some people, but I came from corporate grind to finding out what my mission and purpose is in life. And I'm doing it now and I am grateful for it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Not every generation has had that opportunity to do work the way that many of us work today and go a different path. So yeah, that's really something to be grateful for. So we're talking about this humans first and we'll dig a little deeper. So let me ask you from your vantage point, Marcel, what's fueling the energy, the drive behind Humans First, the club, and then other related movements. The desire for goodness, joy, hope, kindness. What else? Community, friendship, civility, and all of those things. I would wrap it all under this overarching umbrella, and it's a four-letter word. And it's probably going to put off a few of your listeners, a few of you guys listening right now. And that would be the most powerful force in the universe is love. And I think that we have to call it for what it is, Kevin, to be truly human. And I think that 
more and more people are jumping on that bandwagon because we are wired mm. to want to experience love. And we have to now qualify exactly what that word means, don't we? <laughs> For the rest of yes, this call. We do. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, I knew love would come into the conversation because it always does when you and I are talking. I didn't know it would come so early, but I'm delighted it did. So, yeah, and it snuck up on me as well. I, I'm surprised at the fact that I brought it out so early, Kevin. So. so let's define, well, first off, let's talk about everybody has a longing to be loved, you believe? I think that is innate in us. Now, I am not by any stretch a scientist or, you know, I'm not a biology teacher. But from my vantage point, having researched enough about workplace habits and leadership studies, et cetera, as well as being in corporate settings for close to 18 years and then having my clients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Kevin. I think that we're sort of at that stage where we need to evolve not only ourselves, but we need to evolve the dialogue. We need to evolve the ethos of what this whole thing is about and not mince any words and call it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And the more we read up on what's going on in the workplace and the, the studies that Gallup has put out since the year 2000 about engagement and all this stuff. Well, to me, it all points back to a deficiency of having people in high places and positions of influence that don't come from that mold of loving others. And that's certainly a lens to the role of a leader. You know, when we talk about what's truly a leader by definition, somebody that meets the needs of others, you know, somebody that puts others ahead of themselves, right? I can't think of a better way to describe love in the leadership sense. And obviously we have to have results as well. If you're at work listening right now, this isn't just squishy kumbaya stuff, and I'm not going to hold Kevin by the hand around the campfire right about now. We need to somehow frame this in a way that makes business sense for you guys that are listening that are in roles such as executive roles where you're looking at your financial performance and going, wait a minute, how do we even apply this, these principles? So I ran on a tangent there. Maybe you can bring me back, Kevin. <laughs> So, Marcella, I want to go back. I do want to go back. And I do want to talk about love because I think love is a really important part of the conversation. And especially when we're talking about humans first or people first environments, love's got to be part of it. But let's talk about if love is absent, what do you find in its place? Fear. And what does that look like in the world? <laughs> you want me to give you a personal example of fear? <laughs> Before I started this whole journey as an evangelist for a human leadership or servant leadership, you want to throw that label in there. I came from an environment in healthcare. And my one example of the opposite of what we're talking about as we set the stage for more dialogue here is I worked at a hospital. And Kevin, this hospital had a faith-based mission statement. <laughs> and it was the most toxic environment I have ever worked in to the point where the management uh, structure and what was so fear-based that the stress got to me to the point where my back went out. Mm. That's according to my doctor when he asked me, well, tell me a little bit about what's going on with you. How's work? I said, pretty stressful. On the scale of one to 10, I said 25. <laughs> so that explained why I walked out of my shower one Monday morning before work and went straight down 
and was on disability for three weeks. Wow. And I vividly recall to this day that the phone call that I had to let my executive know at that time I reported to an executive team. And so I called in to let her know that I was going to be laid out for a while. And I recall being accused of insubordination. So the Mm. toxicity ran across lines, up and across, up, down, and across. So it was prevalent and it was the culture. And so I remember the executive later as I came back to work, after I got healthy again, we had a one-on-one. She says, you know, Marcel, I don't think you're a culture fit here. Afterwards, I thought about it and I was a little bit hurt by that. But then the more I processed, I realized she was 100% correct. I'm not a culture fit for this kind of environment because I was looking for an environment where people felt like they belonged and Mm. that people felt psychologically safe Mm. and that there was meaning and purpose in their work, that they weren't just worker bees being handed instructions on how to do your job from the ivory tower. So yes, I think that that's an example of the opposite of what I would want to see in a workplace that is founded on principles of love. Okay, so we've both experienced, and probably you listening, hopefully perhaps not to that degree, but I think we've all seen some kind of toxicity. That's a tough word. And toxic cultures and very unhealthy cultures. And so if we are looking to define, okay, if you're listening sequentially, in last week's podcast conversation, I had a conversation with Mike Vacanti, founder of the Humans First Club, and we talked about Humans First and what that means. But Marcel, let me ask you to define as you perceive it, what does it mean to be a people-first workplace or a humans-first work environment? And how, okay, love is definitely part of it. We'll talk more about love, but what does it look like? I mean, love is easy to kind of describe and say leaders need to be more loving, but what do you see? What do people see, feel, and experience that Mm. allows them to know, wow, there's something different about this workplace? They may not be able to label it love at that moment. Yeah, yeah. But what makes it people first or humans first? So love can be a very, I mentioned earlier, an off-putting word, right, in the business place, in the marketplace. But what if we called it something else that is almost equal to love? But what if we just said that leaders need to be more caring? Okay. Is that an acceptable term, you think, in most workplaces? I think so. I'm going to pause a moment. And you remember our mutual friend, Erie Chapman. You've heard those Mm. conversations I had with him when I did the Servant Leadership Sessions podcast. Erie wrote this book, Radical Loving Care, and he led three different hospitals. Mm -hmm. He was talking about radical loving care needed to be the ethos of care. And I remember to this day, Erie said that he was in a boardroom and the chairman of the board said, you know, we like what you're doing here, but can't you call it something else? Because we don't like having to use the word love. And Erie looked at him and he said, can't you call it radical compassionate care? And Erie said, It's got to be love. Nothing else quite suffices. So I'm with you. We can say caring is an expression of love, 
but I don't want to not use the word love. I want to help people that are uncomfortable with the word love get over their discomfort of the Mm -hmm. word love and begin to go, okay, it is okay to talk about love in the workplace. Right, right. And it's funny, we were talking earlier about Gary Ridge and he, you know, Gary Ridge, the CEO of the WD-40 company, and he doesn't call his employees employees or team members. Remember what he calls them? Oh, yeah. Tribe members. Tribe members, because a tribe belongs. Yeah. When you're a member of a tribe, you are taken care of, right? Each person takes care of the other. And obviously, a tribe has a tribal leader that sets the standard for that kind of caring to to rub off on each other. So there's got to be a model there that's setting the stage for that to happen. So again, another great example of speaking of, you know, how to be more human. What does a human workplace look like? Well, not only do leaders care and model the behaviors, those behaviors are going to be fun, you know, trickling down to the floor level, basically, to, uh, you know, your individual contributors who now say, ah, well, hey, we have a measure because our leader walks the talk of caring, of empathy, of kindness, of whatever it is that, you know, choose your virtue. Well, empathy, I think if love is in action, let's just say love is in action. If love is in action, there is empathy. There is kindness. There is caring. There is compassion. Mm-hmm. What else would you add to that list? I know you're doing a lot of work on this right now. Oh, my goodness. Patience is another one. And what does that mean exactly? And I'm not talking about just the ability to just kind of wait patiently for something to happen. Patience may mean having the self-control of your emotions, mm-hmm. which is you know a page right out of emotional intelligence. I mentioned early selflessness, and that lends to servant leadership as well. When you're in the position of showing love in action, you have to remove yourself from the the spotlight. Our mutual friend, Cheryl Batchelder, talks about the spotlight, right? Leaders are always in the spotlight. Well, the best of leaders actually put the spotlight on the employees. Yeah. And so community is another one. There's so much research out there on some of these great places to work, how they have a trusting community and trust is such a huge component of that. Authenticity. I mean, we're talking about having radical candor and the book was even written about it. And what does that mean exactly? It's being approachable and being able to be emotionally honest and communicate the good, the bad, and the ugly and not sweep things under the rug. That's all the things about being authentic. Hmm. Transparency is another way of being human. You know, we tend to hide behind masks. And so we need to pull off the masks and show our true selves. And I'm telling you, and all those things are not just Marcel or Kevin telling you guys, this is our opinion of what a human leader looks like. No, these things have repeatedly been backed up by research and the evidence is overwhelming in the favor of human-centered leaders in workplaces. So I want to unpack some of this, but I want to pause a moment. And I'm thinking some of you listening are probably going, love? Love, what does that look like? And why are they using the love word? And when you mention love, C.S. Lewis years ago wrote a book called The Four Loves. It's a great classic book. And we Americans or we Westerners, we have one word for love. 
And we talk about all of these loves being equal. We love our sports. We love our favorite television shows, our favorite music artists. We love mom. We love our favorite food. We love our wives, our children, all of those. But when we're talking about love, I want to contextualize this just a moment and then invite you to speak into it. There were four Greek words for love. And I think it's one of these that people always fear when we start talking about love. They think of eros. Eros is that feelings based upon sexual attraction, that erotic love between a man and a woman. Another word was storge, which is affection, especially between and for family members. And then there's phileo, which most people can connect with Philadelphia. You know, the love of the brothers, city of brotherly love, reciprocal love. And then there was agape, which was unconditional love rooted in behavior towards others without regard to their due. So when we're talking about love in the workplace, Marcel, which of those are what love are we talking about? Kevin, agape has to rise to the top every time because the other ones are really going to make your HR person very nervous. And it should. So let's unpack agape. Basically, yeah. we're talking about agape love. And I remember when Kevin had a, a podcast with Jeff Harmon. And shout out to Jeff Harmon, Jeff, if you're listening. And Jeff was talking about those four Greek forms of love. And agape is the one that we should be striving for as leaders. Yeah. The others are feeling based love. Agape is a game changer because agape is an actionable type of love. It's the verb. So there's action behind it. It's not a feeling in case any of you guys. It's a behavior. Right. It's a behavior. And so when I listened to your podcast with Jeff Harmon, my response was actually in the form of writing an Inc. article that I referenced both of you, right? Mm -hmm. And for those of you that are even questioning for a second, this is just too soft and fuzzy. I referenced one of the toughest icons in the National Football League, and that's the Green Bay Packers, former head coach from a long time, from the 60s, Vince Lombardi, for any football fans out there. I'm going to read his quote, right? So Coach Lombardi said this about his style of leading the Green Bay Packers back then. I don't necessarily have to like my players and associates, but as their leader, I must love them. Love is loyalty. Love is teamwork. Love respects the dignity of the individual. This is the strength of any organization. Lombardi was basically, he was prophetic in my book about this conversation and how we're moving in the direction, at least in the corporate space, of how the best leaders are starting to lead and et cetera. So, Well, and we can even, so that's Vince Lombardi, football coach in the 60s. But there is a current coach that embraces love and talks about loving his players, and that's Dabo Sweeney, who is the coach of Clemson University, whose team just won the National Football Championship. I'm not saying that to bring Clemson in. I'm not a Clemson fan. I'm a Dabo Sweeney fan, and I appreciate the way that he talks about love. And there have been several articles that have contrasted the relationship I saw a video where one of his players right behind him, as they're being awarded, he's being interviewed about the championship, reaches up and gives him a wet willy in his ear. (laughs) And that's just the kind of lightheartedness that there is 
between coach and players. Now, I'm sure some people think that's inappropriate. I'm not talking about the appropriateness of the behavior. Man, emotions are high when you win the national championship. People are doing all kind of silly stuff. But, I mean, Dabo Sweeney talks about loving his players. Vince Lombardi talked about loving his players. Herb Kelleher, whom we just lost in recent weeks, built an airline based on Mm. love. Love Mm. was their stock symbol. They flew from Love Field. It's their headquarters, you know, airport, Love Field. And Mm. love. So let's talk about love and leadership. So what does love look like in leadership? And a leader that's leading out of love, what are things they might do differently? And then how does that create conditions for human flourishing? Mm. Well, since you mentioned Southwest, I don't know if you know this, but I am always collecting stories for my speaking engagements. And Southwest, back during 9-11 when the uh, towers got hit by terrorists, Jim Parker was the CEO at the time of Southwest Airlines. And I don't know if too many people remember this, that uh, while other airlines were going out of business and laying massive people off, Jim Parker said this, we are willing to suffer some damage even to our stock price to protect the jobs of our people. Mm-hmm. He said that October 2001, just a few weeks after the towers got hit, as a result, Southwest people were even more loyal, even more committed. And you know, if you want to talk about the business case for it, people perform at a higher level yeah. when leaders care and value the workers at that extent. Who does that? Hmm. And so what happened is that as I researched that story back in 2001, while all of these other airlines are either going under or just laying people off, Southwest Airlines stuck to their values because they put people first. Mm -hmm. And that was Herb's vision from day one. And so they didn't lay off anybody throughout that whole uh, recession, you know, in the airline industry to the point that they were the only still profitable airline, even while most airlines were just, you know, bleeding money and Southwest obviously took their hits as well, but they remain profitable throughout. And I believe they have been profitable. Don't quote me on this, but I want to say 30 years in a row now is the only airline that has been that way. So when I think about tying that in to a leadership love, it's putting your people first. Mm-hmm. And because what happens when you, there's that whole uh, people versus profit. Well, what happens is when you value people and you put them first, the profits are going to take care of itself. What's another action behavior? When we start talking about love is a verb, love is action, love is behavior. What is another way, something else you see leaders doing yeah. contribute to human first, people first environments, people first workplaces? This is going to rub off a lot of you the wrong way, but bear with us and stick with this, okay? I'm eager to hear what's coming. Uh, it's counterintuitive and countercultural, even by today's standards, is that you have to release control. Mm. And what that means, hopefully we haven't lost half of you listening to this, but when you release control and share your leadership with your followers, 
you empower them. Not only you empower them to succeed in their roles, but you are basically helping to establish a leadership culture, Mm -hmm. a leader-leader culture, I should say, rather than a follower-leader culture. Because in every organization, we should be striving to build up other leaders from the inside out, right? Isn't Yeah. So Marcel, do you have an example of what it looks like for a leader to relinquish control and share power with others? Help people to take ownership of decisions. Basically, when you share your leadership, you let them make decisions on their own. Obviously, you need to empower them and they have to have the right competency and confidence to know how to do the job. Hello, of course. But once they do, you back away and you don't look over their shoulder. Yeah. And especially in the age of, you know, we're in the age of knowledge workers now. Steve Jobs said this probably 20 years ago. He says, I don't hire people to tell them what to do. No, I hire them so they can tell me what to do. Because he fully recognized that, you know, we're in the knowledge economy where you hire people that are highly creative, highly skilled. And now we want to throw in the soft skills area as well so that they can do what they do best. So to me, that's the sharing leadership model. Okay, you've referenced Gary Ridge, and you're talking about this. Back in episode 69, if you listening and want to go back and pick that one up, I had a conversation with Gary Ridge, uh, Stan Seawich, the chief people officer at the WD-40 company. And we were talking about this, and Gary made a point that he believes that people who share the same values and have access to the same information will make relatively the same decisions. So if we really believe, so if we hire people according to our values, values just aren't something on the wall. They are living, breathing throughout the organization. We use them as part of the hiring process, the onboarding process, the decision-making process. And if leaders are sharing information not holding information. You talked about being the knowledge economy, whether we're still in the knowledge economy. It is a knowledge economy. There's some folks that say we've moved beyond that to the experience economy or whatever, but we do believe knowledge is power. So if you share knowledge, give people access to the information they need, hire according to values, entrust them to make the decision. Mm. Do you agree with that statement? What would you add to that? Let's not add anything. That just sounded so perfect, Kevin. <laughs> well, and then the other thing that I love that the WD-40 company has done, that Gary Ridge is, you know, it's his whole blog. It's around the learning moment. When folks make mistakes, they don't call them mistakes. They look at them as learning moments. So what can we learn from that? So, you know, yeah. the other thing, when I start thinking about You said it from the beginning, love. And if you don't have love, you have fear. And that's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talking about their two primary emotions, love and fear. All the other emotions stem from those. You can look up Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work in that. It's, you know, through the years. So then a leader's job, if you want to create a humans first, people first workplace, let's talk about what would some of those things be. A leader's job is to not only love people, but if you're loving people, you're doing you're pumping fear out of the environment. Rich Sheridan, thank you. Rich Sheridan, pump fear out of the environment. What else is happening in that world? You're allowing people to make their own decisions. And if they happen to make a mistake, you're not penalizing them for the mistake. You're no, your grace, allowing it to be a learning moment. What's something mm-hmm. else? 
Well, yeah, you know, you want to help them fail forward, as they say, so yep. that, and again, it goes back to pumping the fear out of the room so that they know that if they fail, they're not going to lose their job. Well, I want to go back to Gary Ridge because I talked to Gary Ridge a few days ago and he said something that just stuck to my mind to this day. I asked him, I said, Gary, tell me about a hard earned lesson that you've learned about this topic of becoming more human in the workplace, a human leader. And he says, getting comfortable with the three most powerful words I have learned. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. And I paused because I was so, I was hit hard by that. I wasn't expecting that in his answer. And there was this pause and I'm like, is that it? And he's like, yeah, that's it. And he's dead on because so many leaders put themselves in a position of, you know, they're up in their perch in their ivory tower, calling all the shots. And Gary also said that ego is a barrier to leadership, to leading effectively. And so ego does not come down off the ivory tower to say, oh, hey, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. But and come to the tribe and work together towards a solution, towards an answer. Okay, so I'm chomping at the bit to say something here. It Go for it. Hit me as you were talking about this. It's like, wow, this is really, and maybe some of you listening, you go, oh, really? You're just now figuring that out? Well, sometimes I'm slow to the party. If we're really creating human-first workplaces, this means that we're recognizing that our leaders are humans first, too. That we're not just talking about what we're doing for the employees. We're talking about this as humans first. That means we're recognizing that our leaders are not omniscient or infallible. And so when a leader comes out and says, I don't know, they're just admitting that they're human too. Mm, That's good. There's also something called shame. (laughs) <laughs> now, I might be taking this on another course. So as I veer off and pull me back if I get too far off. But So you're saying human first places have lots of shame? <laughs> I'm saying that. <laughs> no. No, here's what I'm saying is that there is a shame culture that travels all the way up to the leadership level. Because fear, fear doesn't just happen from a leader follower standpoint, meaning that the leader imposes fear in their workforce and the workforce is, is scared of making decisions, et cetera. No, I'm talking about leaders who are actually fearing their own roles as leaders because their shame attached to that. They don't want to fail. They don't want to be seen as weak leaders. And so usually there's a facade there that keeps them from being authentic and keeps them from connecting with their tribe, if I may use Gary Ridge again, terminology, tribe. And so, yes, so there's some shame attached to why people lead through fear, why people manage through power and control and all those things. Yeah, there was a Harvard study, Harvard 2005, what CEOs are most afraid of. And it is the fear of failure or the fear, the imposter syndrome, fear of being found out to not be the leader everybody else thinks they are. Yeah. So this whole idea, I love this, and this is something I want to explore in some future conversations, that human first, if we're talking about a true human's first workplace, we're talking about it from the very top of the organization 
that the person in the highest level, as well as the person at the front line, most least seniored position, least tenured position. And it goes back, as I'm thinking of this, you and I know so many of the same servant leaders and have been in those circles. Mm -hmm. Howard Bihar, one of my favorites, that was first president of Starbucks International and on the leadership team with Howard Schultz building Starbucks, had this principle, let the person who sweeps the floor choose the broom. You know, that it's empowering even to folks that have what others look at as some of the lowest level or most menial jobs. Find ways to empower them and let them make decisions about their job. What does the president know about what type of broom is best for the company? You know, let the person sweeping the floor choose the broom. Mm. So deep-seated fears, here's the Harvard article, deep-seated fears of looking ridiculous, losing social status, speaking up, and much, much more, saddle children in the middle school lunchroom, adults on the therapist couch, and even executives in the C-suite. Hmm. So yeah, humans' first workplace needs to be top to bottom in the organization. What else? What else would you want to say as we, we're coming to a close of this conversation? What are other important parts about love and leadership that contribute to human first workplaces? People I think, yeah, I'm going to probably jump back on the authentic authenticity bandwagon, but there's, and I, I referenced this story in my speaking engagements. And in 2001, the University of Michigan Health System was getting sued left and right. In fact, to the night's tune of $18 million in 2001, just for settling these lawsuits for Mm. so much litigation. And a lot of those were for mistakes that they were making. Some of them were small mistakes. So they wanted to find out what in the world's going on? Why are we getting sued left and right by our patients? And so they looked back, they kind of pulled back and they looked at their values. Their values were respect, trust, integrity, and leadership. And they asked this question, what should we be doing for our patients? So this kind of led to this radical exploration of, well, how do we turn this around? And so they decided the solution to the problem was to admit their mistakes. Hmm. It was basically to say, I'm sorry. Hmm. And guess what happened? Three years later? the medical malpractice claims and lawsuits decreased by 50%. Hmm. Hmm. Because, and they used that as a learning moment and realized that the humility, when humility kicked in and they became more humble as leaders and fell back on their values and realized we're not living up to the values and we're not acting in integrity and we're not showing compassion and respect that our patients deserve. You know, if we're going to make mistakes, we're not going to take them, we're not going to battle them in court. No, we're going to find out why is it that we're making these mistakes. And so that's just one example to me that is mind blowing to me that the solution was to say, I'm sorry, and basically to admit fault. Hmm. Because when you do, you're being human, you make mistakes and you admit fault rather than trying to hide behind it and hide behind your legal team who's going to spin it all kinds of different ways, right? To protect your financial performance and all that. So that's one example for me that really stuck out is what are you doing to be more authentic? Hmm. Think about how many masks do you wear 
at work in different situations. And authenticity is the ability to drop all your masks and show up who you really are. And because when you do that, you build trust. And as we know, if you read your Patrick Lencioni books and basically just about every other leadership book under the sun, trust is the foundation for all human relationships. And it's no different in the workplace. And so when you have a community that can trust, can trust each other and trust their leadership, there's the business case for it. Now you got people that are going to go above and beyond and they're going to show discretionary effort. And obviously that's a, you know, the productivity case for higher productivity and better performance, which all translates to better business, better communities, and customers are going to love it. All right. Okay. So Marcel, as we wrap this conversation, draw it to a close. We've talked a lot about love. We've talked about leadership. I want to ask you to kind of summarize this agape love, this unconditional love that demonstrates itself. Love is a verb, behaving towards others. What are a few of those characteristics in action? So walk us through that list that kind of summarizes this conversation. I'm going to say that it all begins with pumping the fear out of the organization. Okay. And that leads to many other things like being able to let your guard down and be real with one another. And obviously leadership is modeling those behaviors. You want to release the control and share your leadership because that's empowering people to become leaders themselves. You want to be more humble because you never want to say you want to be humble because that's almost an impossibility to, to, it's kind of hard to measure humility, but you want to strive to be more humble in any of these actions, really. Remember what we said about Gary Ridge saying, you know, he learned the three most powerful words, I don't know. That's humility in action, right? To admit that. Mm -hmm. The other one is being more emotionally honest. And being able to value your people, value your employees as human beings, get to know them. And then the last one is such a competitive advantage when you recognize your people Mm. for their contributions. And that means take the spotlight away from you and put it on them. And if leaders do that, if organizations are embracing this, that creates a more human-first, people-first environment. I would start with those building blocks, but we would have to have about 10 more podcasts. (laughs) But that's where to start. That would be a good starting point. And I may change my mind at the next time we talk and say, wait a minute, I forgot about this one. Because there are so many different layers to what a human workplace looks like. And I would have to pull out a book like Heather Hanson Wickman's Evolved Executive, which made a huge impact on me. And Heather, if you're listening, Heather's subtitle is The Future of Work is Love in Action. Hmm. And she's talking about the same concepts and ideas that we're talking about and describing companies that are practicing these behaviors. Well, Marcel, I want to thank you for joining me. But before we go, two more questions. One, is there something that you'd like to say to bring this conversation to a temporary conclusion and put a bow around this conversation for you. Yeah. If you're an aspiring leader or find yourself now in a leadership role, management role, whatever level, supervisor level, all the way to the C-suite, I have a question for you. And here it is. 
what is the one thing that you're doing right now or could be doing starting today, tomorrow, next week? What is the one thing that you could be doing to improve the life of one of your employees? I'll leave you with that. Thank you. For folks that want to connect with you, to follow you, read more of your posting, Servant Leadership, Human First Workplaces, where should we direct them? MarcelSchwantes.com is where I'm at, but you'll find me on LinkedIn as well or Twitter at MarcelSchwantes. And if you want to type my name on Inc.com and in the search box, you'll find my column and then you can go to town there and and read uh, some of my thought leadership. Well, thanks for joining us. It's been a blast. Let's do it again. Hey, thanks, Marcel. It was really fun having you join me today. As we were talking about, a human's first workplace or a people first workplace is an environment where fear has been pumped out of the atmosphere and it's replaced by love. Love? You may not be comfortable talking about that in a workplace setting yet or in a business podcast, but love, it's a verb. It's not something to be stifled, mocked, or minimized in the workplace. Love is a necessary requirement for human flourishing and for humans first or people first environments. Now, personally, my biggest takeaway of the podcast was a bit of an epiphany. It might be a blinding flash of the obvious to you, but there's so many times that in conversations, we create a dichotomy and we think of the leaders or the executives, then we think of everybody else in the organization. But if we're really talking about humans first workplace, it's not just the executives creating it for everyone else. But we're also recognizing that our leaders are also human and we're extending to them the same love, understanding and kindness that we hope and want them to extend to others. Hey, I'd love to hear from you and invite you to share your thoughts or your experiences with Human First Workplaces with me. You can email me. It's kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Or you can call me, 678-744-5111. Hey, until next week, I invite you to live, love, and lead with purpose. If you're a leader who is or wants to be entrusted with the transformation of your team, join Kevin and six other leaders for a year-long journey of transformation that will help you release your brilliance and help others to do the same. Email kevin at kevindmonroe.com to begin the application process.